This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, well, is glad it's not a bank today. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Anir Mahanti. How are you, Doc? I am very good. How are you? Mate, I'm, since I'm over the jet lag. I'm back in the country. Our listeners who missed me last week, I'm, I got a flood of... Actually, didn't get anyone who said that one. Nobody missed back. you because you, you were still here virtually, at least. Well, yeah, I know, but... I'm, That's the it problem. It would be nice if somebody cared. Like, just, just the occasional, hey, Scott, hope you're having a good time, or hey, welcome back, or hope you're here on a Friday. Nothing. Nobody Not cared. Thing. I think they probably just wanted to hear you just quietly. Uh, no. Maybe if Scott no, no, come no, back, Nobody wants off. to hear me. <laughs> Mate, how good are we? Tangent up front. We got a big... Po- Actually, well, I've got an announcement, but I'll hold that for later. Instead, I'm going to go through what we're going to talk about today, which is we have Bankapalooza. There is so much bank news in the market that I'm going to start with that. I love banks. <laughs> Don't switch off. Doc will be interesting on banks, and I'll be hopefully interesting. Why coffee as a service isn't quite as silly as it sounds. I'm looking forward to you making that case. I love coffee. We will talk about the ongoing, cap, the absolute flood of capital raising that's going on and the fact that Jerry Harvey's a little bit, what should we say, uh, annoyed? Is that the polite way to put it in a PG-rated show? Yeah, probably. Just a bit, <laughs> bit annoyed. A bit annoyed. <laughs> a bit annoyed. Uh, and we will, as always, dip into the Motley Fool mailbag. Let's get the show on the road. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, this week has been not a very good one if you're a bank shareholder, at least a couple of the major banks. It's been a reasonably tough seven days. The most recent news, probably the biggest news, is the fact that Westpac has, get this, so add 1.3, carry the five, so 23 million instances, allegedly, for the lawyers, allegedly, instances of uh, non-detection, non-reporting of potential breaches of the money laundering laws here in Australia. Brian Hartzer, the CEO, is looking down the barrel of maybe having a little bit more free time in his life. Um, the PM's weighed in, the Treasurer's weighed in, the Attorney General has weighed in. Um, now, <laughs> never get between politicians and the chance to bash a bank, because they'll take that well and truly. And frankly, we're not exactly immune to the pleasures of bank bashing either. Mate, is this is this a storm in the teacup? Is this the latest in a long list of just ridiculous scandals? Is this a really big deal? What's going on with Westpac and its 23 million alleged breaches of money laundering rules? You know, for, first of all, like, you know, because my prime minister and, and treasurer, you know, um, are listening to the show. <laughs> uh, I'd like hey, to say... Hey, and Josh. Yeah, Thanks like, I'm, you know, to uh, to Scott, the other Scott, the other Scott. And, and the other Scott and, and Josh. This is what I've got to say. <laughs> Stay out of the banks because, you know, that's... That's like my <laughs> Like, you know, why, you know, just let me have it. Out of the way, Prime Minister, is what <laughs> Yeah, are you said. out of the way? You know, this, there are other problems that you Folks can... Folks, i running the country, guys. Yeah, Doc for, will do the bank bashing. Thank bank, you very much. Bank, yeah, like, I mean, then, then on the other hand, you say that, you know, well, the banks have had uh, a tough seven days. Like, I mean, you know, as far as I can remember, they've had a tough time ever since the commission happened. Right, well, I mean, you kind of wait for the, you wait, kind of wait for the bad news to stop, yeah. right? Like, I was asked on... Was it radio or TV? Something. Not all that long ago, I was asked, hey, is this the end of it? Have they have the provisions been made now? We kind of want to see the back of this stuff. And in my naivety and probably lack of cynicism, I said, well, yeah, look, generally I think, I mean, the, the Royal Commission reports out, the banks have made their provisions. In some cases, they hadn't made quite enough. So they've had a second mm. round of them, including Westpac. This was supposed to be the kind of end of the end of the bad news, right? But the, mm. the hits keep coming. Yeah, the junk insurance or the insurance that people should not have well, products. That, so this you know. is the other part of the news. So we, we'll we'll move on from poor Brian Hartzer and his possible new free time he's going to have if uh, if the PM gets his way and Hartzer walks the plank. Um, so yeah, ANZ and Westpac. Westpac again, funnily enough. Uh, I've got I've got a bit of a rant coming too. Just just hold okay, that thought. Okay. ANZ and Westpac the are facing apparently a class action because of this junk insurance. The allegations and, and CBA's Comminsure unit was taken to task for this and I'm pretty sure CBA actually admitted that they'd done Yeah, the they're paying thing. they're paying back and they're paying a fine, right? So now ANZ and Westpac are being taken to court. Now look, class actions aren't exactly um uh, aren't exactly evidence of guilt. Never stand between a you know an ambulance and an ambulance chasing lawyer because you'll get crushed yeah. in the in the in the meantime. Not with all due respect to the mm. our lawyers listening and I should say allegedly another fourteen times mm. just to make sure I don't have to um face their their wrath. Uh, but in any case <laughs> I think you'd be a brave person to say the bank's got nothing to worry about. This has been a, uh, well, <laughs> the history says they've probably done some things wrong. There's a decent chance this case gets up. 
more insurance sold to people who frankly shouldn't have had the insurance. The insurance itself was effectively junk because it either doesn't cover what's supposed to cover or uh, it's going to be declined or the conditions under which it was sold, allegedly, according to the lawyers, are somewhat suspect. Yeah, like, I mean, this whole the bank saga, though, I mean, here's the thing. Like, on the one hand, uh, you know, it, it comes to me as something that I would say it's completely expected. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I, so I don't know why anybody would be surprised. Did you still expect it? I mean, did, didn't, didn't you feel like the, the Royal Commission kind of well, done its damage? No, but not necessarily, right? I mean, you know, think about these institutions. These are like, you know, uh, old institutions uh, with, with lots of processes. These are huge, mm. big institutions if you think about the country, right? I mean, they're a large part of our market. Um, right. You know, uh, they control a large part of, you know, the majority of the lending, yeah. these big banks. So, I mean, you know, when they're such big, you know, behemoths and at the same time they have mm-hmm. been around for such long times, they've got processes and systems and things that are really antiquated as well. Like, I mean, they have adapted, right? They have all these beautiful apps, but at the, in the back end of the stuff, they've got lots of systems and processes that probably predates like the internet, <laughs> I know, I'm sure. Man, I'm sure most. I'm sure there's a DOS program of two running in the background. Exactly. So, I mean, if you think about that, then, you know, it is not surprising that, you know, I think what happens is when a commission like this happens and when there's like, you know, I guess a big inquiry into what's going on at the banks happening, then you have the potential of, uh, you know, finding more skeletons. I think that's basically what's happening here. And, uh, in a way, it's not it's not surprising, and and you know I feel, in a way I feel bad for the CEO too. I mean, the CEO basically gets the flack for oh, stuff that has been like I mean, in this particular case, think about it this way, right? Not everything that is happening in the bank world is because of the current CEOs. I mean, this has yeah. been happening oh, for that like is such a good point. Like this has been happening for like you know decades, right? So I mean, people didn't care a decade back. Now they all of a sudden do. Um, I mean, you know, I think that, that's I think that's the big issue here. Um, yeah, that that said, you know, should something happen? Yes, you know, should we try to fix these problems? Especially, you know, if there's a money laundering issue, then <laughs> you know, that that does seem very significant, uh, right? I mean, we should definitely be trying to fix the problems. But uh, I, sometimes I feel like you know the, the CEO is the scapegoat for yep. you know uh, all the past CEOs' problems. I mean, you know, some of this is inherited. So I think that's true, Matt. I look, I I'm actually completely with you in one sense. I think. Look, I mean, the, the CEO, no one feels sorry for CEOs, right? Because they get paid a squillion dollars, and, yeah. and it's, you got to go a long way to find someone <laughs> sympathy for someone who's getting you know ten million bucks a year or whatever he's getting. So, look, I don't feel super sorry for him. That being said, there was a there's a lot of I mean, this is this is kind of the worst of PR, the worst of kind of the headline driven culture we're in, right? So, Hearts is probably going to have to walk the plank. The bank's probably going to make him, in part because yes, he, at the end of the day, he is kind of responsible. At some, I mean, the back bunk, the buck stops there, not the bank, the buck. So, you know, at some degree, he is the guy who's got to carry the can at some level. But as you say, it's been happening forever. Yeah. And, and largely his, his dismissal or resignation, if it comes, will come because the bank simply needs to have a sacrificial lamb for the, the screaming headlines and the screaming politicians rather than genuinely because he is yeah. fundamentally and whatever in the wrong. That said, and I, I, I mean, I kind of, again, I'll, I'll actually agree with you in, in passing because the biggest issue here is that none of the banks, I'll say none, I think that's probably right. Maybe maybe the not-for-profit banks might be slightly different. None of the big banks, at least, have any have shown any evidence that compliance and responsible conduct has been a priority of the board or management for the last decade or so. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the bottom of this, right? So these things are all, I mean, at one level, they're all individual instances, right? So maybe there's a glitch in the software, which it sounds like at Westpac. Is that a big deal? Look, in the in the event, I mean, it is because it's a you know it's an offence, a civil offence. So yes, it's a big deal. But you know, can it happen? Of course, in a business this big, these things can happen. Can Combank's was it Combank or the the ATM withdrawals that were more than ten grand? I think it was. Yeah. Can that happen again? One line of code, someone forgets to do something. Mm. Again, I kind of get it. Junk insurance, can it happen? Well, you've got an insurance team who are a little bit overzealous and trying to maximise profits. So yeah, that can kind of happen as well. At the bottom line, though, this is this is a fundamental issue of culture. I, I tweeted, um, and we'll share our socials in a minute. I tweeted yesterday, the day before, that you know, yes, Hearts will probably have to walk the plank, but the board of directors are there to oversee management. It's their responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure management does what it's supposed to do, not just to fire people when things go badly. Like these guys and girls should actually be carrying the can as well. Mm-hmm. Now you can't get rid of a whole board. I don't think that's irresponsible because you want people there who know the business, so you don't want to clean out everybody and start again. But at some level, you've got to say, guys, the buck shouldn't stop just at the CEO. The board and the chairman probably in particular have to say, it was my responsibility to 
ensure the fiduciary, my fiduciary duty, in other words, my responsibility for the shareholders, make sure the bank was being run properly, that's been fundamentally not followed. The cultures there are arguably rubbish. The incentives are arguably misaligned. And I say arguably because I think, you know, we always need to leave some room for doubt, though I don't think it's a big <laughs> big amount of room required. It just, it just beggars belief that thus far they still haven't done these things. They still haven't said, you know what, there's a problem here. We need to prioritize culture. We need to prioritize compliance. Mm. Back in the day, the bank was the pillar of the local community. The bank manager was the guy, right? He mm. was the, it was always a bloke, unfortunately, but you know, he was the guy who was the, literally the cornerstone of the community. The bank manager looked after the people and vice versa. It was a slower growing business. It was a responsibly run business. It just strikes me that, that you know, the, the because you can act with impunity, someone tweeted at me in, in response to that tweet to say, maybe we should be disqualifying executives and directors. I think that was the point. Maybe it's directors, but I added executives from actually being involved in the management of these things. If you knew as a director or a CEO, your livelihood was at stake, I think it would change what you do, right? It would change how you focus your mind on what's really, really important in running these businesses. I think I, I think I agree with all of that. I mean, it's, again, yeah, no, it's, it's a complex, it's a cultural issue. It's more than anything else. It's, a, it's not just a system issue. It's a cultural issue. It's right, an right. issue. It's, it's a deep-rooted, deep-ingrained um, issue in, in like the organization. I, I get there's problems with the software, but if you had a culture that said, let's actually make sure none of our software is crap, then you'd go and fix it. And that's going to yeah. cost you money. It's going to take time and effort. But if you cared enough to say, hey, this should be a priority, You'd fix it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that I think that's that's the right thing. Yeah, and, and and I think you know maybe the right thing here is for the the current management and current board to actually act on it, fix mm-hmm. it, and now once they fix it, basically say, okay, we're going to walk, you know, walk and let somebody else now run the ship, or right? Something like that. I think anyway. that's right. I think some sort of board renewals. And just just again for response, like I don't think we need to have a scalp every time something goes wrong, but you need to have fundamental change, fundamental responsibility. I don't see that necessarily coming to the fore yet. Mate, my little mini rant very quickly before we move on. 16, so I tweeted again yesterday. Brian Hartzer, who is the CEO of Westpac, who may well end up having to walk the plank. He was in the, it was in the AFR, and it was literally 16 days earlier. So yesterday, we're recording this on Friday morning, the 22nd. Yesterday was the, the news broke about Westpac. And it was only, uh, it was only slightly earlier, 15 days, 16 days earlier, that good old Brian, Bryant was in the news, and I and I. This is the headline: Hartzell warns of regulatory fatigue. And the first paragraph is: The Westpac boss draws a parallel with what has been happening in the banking sector with other sectors of the economy, where businesses are not investing. At a time when Prime Minister Scott Morris is warning of bank profiteering, Westpac chief executive Brian Hartzell is worried about investors ditching the banks because of regulatory issues. <laughs> Sixteen days ago, mate. Like you've got to wonder what the hell's going on, don't you? Like you know. Talk about talk about whinging about something that's not real, and frankly, you and you've got your own house to clean up. I know it's it, yeah. It was I like two weeks ago too? We ranted about or I ranted about David David Morgan, the ex Westpac boss, also complaining about regulations. Guys, guess what? How about you yeah. act as if you don't need the regulation, and the lack of regulation will follow. If you can't show that you actually can operate properly without the regulation, well. You kind of don't deserve the, well, I mean, the leeway, the, do you? Yeah, banks are a protected species in Australia, right? I mean, mm. you know, they have um, you know, stuff that they can get away with or, you know, stuff that, you know, the type of uh, reliance that we have on the banks is, is, is quite uh, quite stunning. So um, uh, it's a function of having, again, a small number of banks. But, yeah. so Have we finished talking about banks now? I think so. Thank God. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, from the, I was going to say sublime to the ridiculous. I'm not sure that's necessarily true because I wouldn't call the bank sublime. I wouldn't even necessarily call this ridiculous, but your job this morning is to try and convince me that coffee as a service, I kid you not, (laughs) coffee as a service is actually a worthwhile thing. Now, a US, uh, what do we call them? They're kind of a, they're not exactly fast food. They're kind of a sandwich chain, right? Yeah. So like, um, I think it was, it's basically like Starbucks, right? It's, it's like, not like Subway, right? Because it's more food than coffee. Yeah. But like, I mean, Starbucks has also evolved. Now, Starbucks has got, you know, food and it's got breakfast and it's got lunch and things right. like that. It's like sandwich. Yeah. It's like a sandwich. It's Panera's a, kind of sandwiches first though, right? It has coffee. Well. That's, anyway. That's so, true. That's true. So Panera is now not, it was a publicly listed company. It's now private, owned by a big European kind of fast food mob, I suppose. Mob, yeah. Um, mob is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look out. You can make that allegation. I'm not going to. I, I love our mafia friends. Um, the, the, um, 
so they have launched, or are about to launch, I'm not sure, a a coffee as a service. So we, we know we're all about recurring revenue these days. Software <laughs> companies are worth a squillion dollars because their customers keep coming back. Panera is trying to turn coffee into a subscription business. Now, yep. I, I'm not as I'm not as skeptical as I as I sound. I'm I'm doing this partly for theatrical effect because you know it's more fun that way. Um, but try and convince me and convince our listeners that subscription coffee. I don't know whether you get it in the mail or maybe you get it online. Maybe that's cheaper if you have coffee online. I'm not sure. How how on earth is subscription coffee at what ten bucks a month? How is that even a business model? Yeah, so uh, some people from or one person from the states uh, basically sent me a picture saying, "Hey, look at this," <laughs> um, and it's it's a picture of you know Panera advertising their I think it's seven fifty is if I remember the number number correctly for seven fifty dollars a month. I think. That sounds like ridiculously cheap if it's a month. Um, yeah. Now, to be fair, when they talk about coffee in America, though, they talk about the brood stuff. Yeah, they're right? talking. So yeah, this, this is not exactly cappuccino territory, but still, seven fifty a month is what's that? Twenty five cents a day? Am I doing my maths right now? Yeah, something like that. Whatever it is. Like, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So this is the brood coffee. This is the black coffee. Yep, you yep. know, coming the filter coffee. Still, seven fifty yeah. a day. I mean, you do that every work day for. I mean, you know, it's a but. What's it? Yeah, 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 thirty cents a day for every for twenty work days a month or something. Yeah, so, so it's, it sounds ridiculously cheap, it? and 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 how is this even a business model? But it's, it's an interesting take. I th- I think it's an interesting take because uh, largely for two reasons, right? I mean, one, when you say it's it's a subscription, right? So you you have to pay as a customer yeah. whether you use it or not, right? Yeah. So that's number one. So you've guaranteed revenue. You know how much revenue is coming in. <laughs> I um, that's true. So number two, is mind that, you, that revenue is not worth anything if you can't make any money out of it. Right? That's that's true. So number two is that you probably know based on people's loyalty cards and so on, on <laughs> average, how much how much coffee does do people have, mm. right? And you might have done the maths to see here okay, yeah, yeah. that you know on average maybe people have this much coffee, and therefore on average I'm going to be actually making some money off this. I think that's the number two aspect. Number three aspect, I think, is loyalty, right? Mm. Once you have signed up to have this so-called free or almost free coffee, <laughs> you are now like, okay, I paid this. So I, I guess if I have to have coffee, I have to have it at Panera. Panera right. is not really known for coffee. But so you're kind of locking in something. The person who occasionally has a Panera coffee all of a sudden wants to have Panera coffee every time. Yeah. Bring him into the store more frequently. Now, yeah. that doesn't work necessarily because there's no point. If you bring him in more often... They're simply going to drink more coffee, which costs you more money. That's not necessarily the upside. The upside is something else. Yeah, so the upside is like, you know, I'm going to sell you. It's called a basket size, right? So, you know, I'm trying to basically increase my basket size by getting you to, you know, the average order size by getting you to buy maybe a sandwich. While you're here, grab a sandwich, grab some brekkie. Yeah, you know, know, buy uh, buy the soup, buy the sandwich, buy, you know, something else, buy the juice. And, And that's the idea. So I think you bring people there more frequently. That helps you sell other stuff. Uh, increases store traffic, hopefully increases, you know, your same store sales. And and I think it's an interesting idea. And, you know, maybe you could, you know, ex- extend it to other things. So it's like, you know, basically bring people back to the store more often. Podcast so it, as a service, mate. Podcast as a service. It's, it's not that bad like an that idea. idea. Yeah. As long as I get paid. If, I mean, all, of our, if all of our listeners send us, what, one cent? dollar a month? No. Oh, I'll cent. take one cent. Yeah. I've that many listeners do, just quietly. I thought we had a lot. We, we couldn't afford the Panera coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, okay, the price changes. A dollar. A dollar. A dollar a month. A dollar a month. If you come on, do the right thing. No, I'm kidding. You know what I love about this too, mate? And this is one of the great one of the great things that if you're running a business and you want to give your customers something of value that they value more than it costs you to provide. Mm. In other words, a high what they call a high perceived value. Coffee is about the best of it. You know the cheapest part about making coffee? The coffee. Yeah, coffee. I kid you not. So I used to work for I used to work for a company that distributed Lavazza here in Australia. Mm. And I know for a matter of fact, I won't, I won't divulge any proprietary information because that'd get me in trouble. But the coffee itself, literally the coffee that goes into the, the coffee beans, the coffee grounds that go into the coffee, is the cheapest part of the coffee itself. The gross margins on coffee are phenomenally high mm. because most of the cost of the coffee that you're paying as a, as a customer is paying for the rent mm. and the staff and the washing up and the coffee cups and the milk to some degree, but not a lot. Um, the, the, the physical, the, the product cost of a coffee is in is literally cents in the dollar. It might be, I'd be surprised if it was more than a buck for a four dollar coffee, right? In terms of the actual physical, the coffee grounds, the water, the milk. I would I would uh, challenge that and say it's even less than that. Right, I'm sure it is. I, just, I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want over overdo it. So what I love about that is if something costs you a dollar mm. and it has a perceived value of four dollars, mm. give that away effectively for free or close enough to free. 
is a huge value, right? So it costs me a dollar to make you feel $4 better off. Yeah. That's a pretty good deal. And then if you think about that in terms of the incremental value, if if the person who would normally have $5 worth of coffee has $10 worth of coffee because they're using this card all of a sudden, well, the incremental cost of that coffee is still only a couple of bucks to you. And as you say, mate, if you can get more people, A, to subscribe in the first place, B, start shopping at Panera who wouldn't weren't previously because it feels like too good a deal. C, they buy it a bit like gym memberships never come in. You make mm. money on that. Mm. And D, they actually buy more stuff when they're in the shop. As long as you've done the maths properly on your current customers, you don't want the people who are currently spending 50 bucks a month in coffee getting everything for $7.50. So you want to be careful of that. But it's a pretty attractive way. You're not giving away something that – if you're in a supermarket, right, if you're, if you're a supermarket retailer, if you're giving away something worth a buck, you're having to pay 75 or 80 cents for that. That's expensive. If you're giving away coffee worth the equivalent of a buck, you're paying 20 cents for that. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a pretty good deal. And you can see kind of why it makes sense for Panera to do, in theory, as long as they get this right, coffee as a service. I love it. It's a great idea. What's next, man? Are we saying sandwiches as a service? Do we no, see... No, uh, I think avocado as a service might be okay. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I mean, well, it's, I mean, everything is kind of getting servicey, right? Do I, am I right that Uber's trialed something like this before? I'm not sure. That's some sort of loyalty scheme from memory. I, I don't know. I mean, Uber has all these yeah. various things. But it kind of, I mean, that's the way the world's moving, right? If you can tie your customers up, the, the whole concept of loyalty used to be loyalty card, membership card, mm. that kind of good stuff. Now it's kind of, you're kind of buying loyalty by giving people perceived discounts and real discounts to tie up their purchase. I mean, to some degree, that's, I mean, it's Netflix, it's Foxtel at the end of the day, right? You might have spent, I don't know, what, what, a, what did a blockbuster video used to cost to rent? Two, two bucks for a week or $5 for a night for the mm-hmm. new release or something? Um, you know, they made the bet ages ago that, hey, we can do this because we'll charge you a smaller amount of money or a larger amount of money on a monthly basis and you watch more stuff. Probably, maybe you will, maybe you won't. That whole scale and fractionalization of costs is, is, a, is a big deal. It's a big deal, yeah. And it's, 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 it's interesting that there's all these things are now coming to sort of what I would call a traditional business, right? Right, and, right, right. So that's, that's really good. Podcast as a service, Matt's coming. Podcast as a service. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, if you're going to have a podcast as a service, you're probably going to need to raise some capital. And this is... I love capital. <laughs> I like capital. Capital S, capital P. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you don't mean that? No. Capital cities? Capital Sydney. There you go. <laughs> Canberra. Uh, <laughs> what we're talking about, though, of course, is, is extra money for companies to be run. Raising capital means they're going to shareholders. Cap in hand and saying, guys... We'd like some more money, please. We want to grow. We want to do some stuff. And it would really help us if you could throw us some more money. Now, we spoke about this a couple of months ago, mate. There was a, a rash of capital raisings, which seemed like a big deal at the time. They're kind of not so much of a big deal in hindsight because, <laughs> frankly, the subsequent flow has been almost ceaseless, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in a time when our rivers are empty of water, there's plenty of water flowing through the capital raising market. Cash is so cheap right now. Companies are running to raise money. And, frankly, investors are throwing it at them, I wouldn't exactly say at an unprecedented rate, but... I, I tell you what, there's just so much money being thrown at so many companies. Give us a quick update, mate. What's going on in the capital raising market? Yeah, so I think you hit hit all the points, right? I mean, like, you know, interest rates are record low, so you can't keep your money in somewhere locked in a bank and right. hope to make some return. Right, right. So, I mean, people are, I think there's a general, t- and, you know, bonds pay nothing, right? You can own a, mm-hmm. you know, an Australian government bond and you get pretty much nothing. Yep. Um, and, you know, you can own some European government bonds and you, actually might land up paying them money. <laughs> so so this is the, I mean, let's this just This is I, unprecedented, I, I want to stop here just for a second, just for people who aren't necessarily following this closely. Normally, when you put money in a term deposit, you get your hundred bucks back and you get a couple of percent interest. Yeah. At the moment, if you're buying Australian government, so the equivalent is, uh, rather than putting money in the bank, you can lend your money to a government. Yeah. And the same thing as depositing money in the bank, right? We don't think about it as lending it to the bank, but we kind of are. So the same equivalent if you were to Deposit your money, lend your money to the Australian government. You might get one and a half percent. One point six. And I checked yesterday. I think it was one point six. I didn't Just, know you were a bond market watcher, mate. But that's I learned well, something new every day. Well, but you know, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, here's my government. It can <laughs> actually get money for one point. Probably less if it wants. You know, it can get it probably yeah. for less. It's it's phenomenal. All right. So you put your hundred bucks in. You're getting one hundred and one dollars and sixty cents out of it. Yeah. So you're getting something. It's not very attractive. In Europe at the moment, if you give them a hundred bucks, they will give you. $98 back. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Like literally, no, 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 no extra. Literally, they'll give you back less than you lend them, <laughs> such as the state of European banking. So just want to just want to quickly touch on that. That's what negative yields mean, uh, is is literally, and I think the, the reality there is that the, the markets are so gummed up right now that in a desperate effort to stoke economic activity in, in Europe, 
the European Central Bankers are giving negative interest rates, and that's flowing through negative bond yields or negative, which is effectively the yield is the interest rate on the bond. So effectively, because the European Central Bank has a negative interest rate, European government bonds are also negative, which is just bizarre. Like that's anyway. I, <laughs> Well, it is, it's truly bizarre. That's the world we're in. Anyway, back so, to capital rights. So if, if you're in an environment like this where, you know, you can't really make money anywhere else, then, you know, the stock market's um, overall attractiveness increases, right? People right. are looking and are searching for <laughs> how can I make some money? Right. Well, you want, you, want, you want to put money aside now. You want more money in the future. Yeah. Clearly, if you do it in European government bonds, you're getting less money in the future. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. Australian government bonds, you're getting, you're getting such a small amount of money. It's still probably inflation beating, but kind of only just, you're not going to get rich doing it. Yeah. So you're right to, to your point, and this is uh, the central banks have been what they what commentators call pushing people up the risk curve. Right, the whole idea of low rates, at least in part, it's partly to stimulate the physical economy. The other is to push people up the risk curve to get them to take more risk to invest in growth. They're basically saying to people, "Hey, you better go and try and find some riskier stuff to invest in." Hmm. If that ends up being throwing more com- money at companies to grow, well. Hopefully that helps the economy. So to some degree, it's exactly what the central banks want, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so it's stimulating the economy indirectly via, you know, uh, the capital markets, right? You're, right. you're, pushing, you're pushing the stock prices up of, um, of companies, the companies and then can actually sell that stock to mm. um, current. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really what's happening. Uh, so w- what, what's interesting is the ASX is pretty much close to an all-time high right now, right? Mm-hmm. Very close. Or it probably hit an all-time high and then just has backed, backed off a bit. Um, so the ASX at all time, many small and medium-sized uh, companies are like pretty much trading at all-time highs. Mm-hmm. So this is a really good time for them to go back to market. And there's an appetite, right? There's an appetite among right. among people with capital to say, well, I need to do something with it. So they're basically utilizing the environment to to the hilt by saying, well, you know, we can use this cash to grow and we can use this cash to expand our current businesses. A lot of these small to medium-scale companies are exactly doing that, saying, give me some more money. Now, I've got a question for you, mate. Try and explain to our listeners, if you can, why is an all-time high a good time to be raising capital if you're a company? Yeah, so and uh, so near near about to all-time high for the share price basically means that if you're an existing shareholder, um, which is what the company should be caring about, right? Mm-hmm. They should care about their shareholder base because most of the time you're going back to the same shareholders and saying, I want more money, right? So you, if you want to raise capital, you want to raise capital at a higher share price because that effectively means that you can get, if you're raising, say, $100 million, mm-hmm. you can raise that $100 million effectively by issuing a fewer number of shares. If you issue a fewer number of shares, then you're diluting your current um, shareholders less. Effectively, it means that in the future, the pie of earnings is being divided across a smaller number of people than across a larger number of people had you raised the money at lower share prices. Can I try and give a a physical real-world analogy? Yeah, the pizza one? No. No? I'm going with the house. Okay. Can I do the the house one? Yeah, do the house one. So here's the thing. If your house was worth half a million bucks... And you wanted to raise $100,000 to go on a holiday or afford an operation or buy a new car or whatever you wanted to do. So you've got a half million dollar house. You want to raise a hundred grand. That's 20% of the value of the house. Now, that probably means you've got to sell two bedrooms to somebody because you can't, you, can't you can't have more house. So you, you're saying, is, look, I need the money. I'm going to go and sell two bedrooms in my house. That's, that's about a hundred grand's worth. I don't really want to have to do it, but I kind of need the money. I want to go and do whatever I want to go and do. So I sell, I sell two bedrooms of the house, right? Which is about 20% of the, of the property. Now, if in a all-time high type market, property market is hot, and all of a sudden someone wants, is, your house is worth a million dollars. If you want to raise a hundred grand, you know you need to sell one of those bedrooms rather than two. So you actually are, are giving up less for the same amount of money you're trying, to, you're trying to get from the market. So if you need that cash, you want to give up as little as possible. The best time to raise cash is when people are paying the most per, in our case, square meter. Mm. In, in your example, which is far more real world in terms of shares, um, you know, per, per share, the, the more people are prepared to pay, the less you have to give away to raise the money you need. There's, there's another interesting thing here. The, uh, and this is a bit of a wonkiness thing, but you know, when companies are raising money at all-time highs, typically all-time highs come with uh, good execution, right? I mean, typically, mm-hmm. uh, there's always exuberance and all those things, but you know, let's put exuberance aside. If a company is executing well, the share price goes up. If the share price has gone up because of good execution, people yeah. uh, want to get in and pay more to you know, basically have more shares in the company, then company actually 
may be able to raise money with you know a smaller discount or typically there's a discount associated with whenever you're raising money because you know you're diluting people mm-hmm. and you want to entice people to buy in right so the discount you're offering is less this is the opposite of the discount you'd probably offer if you know the the share price is down and your execution is bad and your company is not doing that well right. because then you're asking for a handout right if that's want, the worst time to do that's right? the so worst if, time. if your half million dollar house is worth 200 grand yeah. you still half the house to raise the money you need yeah. as you say because you're getting desperate you need the handout yeah. you're like Guys, I'm going to go broke if I don't have this money. Yeah. And so the, the canny buyer comes along and says, well, guess what? I'm going to have to have all, almost all of your house if you want this money. Yeah. And you think, well, I don't want to do that, but I don't really have any other choice. I'm going broke otherwise. Yeah. I guess here's half my house. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the example. So I think it's good. I mean, it's good for companies that growth companies, and, and, and I'm, I'm okay with it, with growth companies use, utilizing opportunities like this. Right. Of course, the flip side would be that we could hit new all-time highs. And <laughs> that basically would mean that, you know, and if they didn't really need this cash to actually that's achieve that. Right. So there's this, you have to trust management that they're just not buying cash or not raising yeah. cash or not, you know, uh, buying because you're using the shares. But, yeah. you, you know, you're not raising the capital just because you wanted to, just because somebody told you that you should have more cash in the bank. Yeah. If you really needed it and you're going to actually deliver growth based on that, then that's fine. So it's, you know, it's really a question of return on that capital. But if there is return yeah. on the capital, then it's worth it. So it's, it's you know, it's I've, hard to know. I've got a, I'm really torn on capital raising, Matt. We've probably talked about this before, but capital raisings are the lowest risk way to raise more money. Because new shares are forever. If you borrow money from the bank, they're entitled at some point to knock on the door and say, hey, guys, we'd kind of like that money back now. And if you can't pay it back, then you're in even worse trouble. Mm. And we've seen some companies, RFG, Retail Food Group is one of them, um, others over, over recent times where they have what they call breached the covenants. That means the bank has given some specific criteria. You can only have this money if you do these things. Mm-hmm. If you break those rules, the bank can effectively come back to you and say, yeah, we want to take your business or we want to refinance this loan at onerous rates or something else. Mm. So on one level, I like that capital raising is lower risk capital. Mm-hmm. What I what I hate is it's equivalent of renting the room versus selling the room, right? To go back to my to my house analogy, if you needed some money, you said, look, excuse me, I'll, I'll rent this room to you for five years. And after that, I'll I'll, you know, effectively I'll I'll pay the money and then after five years you'll leave and I get the I get the room back. So I'm not really deluded, right? It's, it's cost me a little bit in the meantime. Things could have gone badly, but at least I get the room back. And I haven't had to, to permanently sell off part of my house. And so at some level, if you can use... Now, as I said, the debt can be risky for a whole lot of reasons. But part of me thinks selling off literally an asset forever, as opposed to effectively renting it out, which is what a loan is, to a rent of ca- you're renting cash. Um, I don't know. I, I really struggle with this one, mate, because a, a lot of the time I get the, the, the safety value of, of raising capital, but... You're giving up, you know, I'll use Berkshire Hathaway because it's a company I know and, and own and I've talked about once or twice before in this podcast. Um, Buffett has said that every time he used new shares, in other words, he raised capital to make an acquisition, he's regretted it because the value of the shares he gave away is worth so much more now, 5, 10, 20 years later, than if he'd simply borrowed money or not made the acquisition at all. The existing shares are actually worse off because of that. And to your point, if shares do go on to, to higher new highs, most of these companies would have been better off in hindsight borrowing the money rather than issuing new shares yeah like i don't have anything specific to add to that i mean other than saying that it a um, couple of things one is that you know how do you control for the fact that what would have happened if there was no if that additional cash did not show up right right, right. um it's also i mean yeah. i think the other thing is that not every company is i think suitable for debt right because yeah. if debt comes with covenants then um you know certain companies are more uh, i guess you know if you have a very high capital um, uh, base intensive business, those can really very quickly get into trouble, right? That's I true. mean, RFG is a good example where you know it got into trouble because of its covenants. And it's now raised capital, by the way, because that's all that's yeah, all it could do. <laughs> because right now it had no choice; it basically right. had to raise capital at very very low right. prices. Right? I should acknowledge, by the way, I own a very small stake in RFG, just for full disclosure. So um, yeah, like I mean, you know, so I I think. There's, there are merits to both. Mm. And, you know, ideally you want to get organic growth and you yeah. don't, you know, you want to get growth coming. You know, you basically want the free cash flow to fund the growth. But if that's not happening, then, well, you need to raise money somewhere. It's, it's a good point. I mean, in hindsight, every successful business should never raise capital, right? If, yeah. if, you, if you manage to make it through, you know, a Woolworths, an Apple, a BHP or whatever, these businesses all would have been better. You know, and maybe none of them have, raised, have, have issued shares. But generally speaking, you know, no no successful business today should have raised capital in the past because the compound returns have been so phenomenal that you've actually hurt your shareholders meaningfully by raising capital. On the flip side, as you say, Doc, 
Some businesses either aren't suitable or frankly just it wasn't a risk worth taking. And other businesses that have been successful and raised capital may well have actually come asunder in the meantime if they'd had something like a bank covenant issue or a, a, a temporary short-term kind of downturn of business that would have otherwise sent them broke if they'd had to pay back some debt. I think so, yeah. I think that's, that's fair. I think we're done. I think we're done with raising. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We might be done with raisings, but we're not done with corporate, what shall I say, pressures? Uh, corporate pressures are high these days. Corporate pressures are high. Well, particularly if you're... You happen to go by the name of Jerry Harvey. Now, poor old Jerry, um, he's, he's come under some decent fire, and his wife, Katie Page, who is the CEO of Harvey Norman, have come under some decent pressure from a whole lot of shareholders. We'll talk about a couple of groups in a minute, but who basically said, look, Jerry, I, I saw a quote, uh, I think it was a quote, it may have just been a, a characterization by a journal, but basically saying that Harvey Norman is effectively being run as a private company, dressed up as a public company. They're not very happy that Jerry is... Yeah, just making some, uh, what should we say, unusual, um, esoteric, uh, some, some, some reasonably unusual acquisitions, uh, putting the money to work in certain ways, not being very transparent with his company and saying, Jerry, you kind of can't do this anymore. The board's not very independent. You've got your wife and your son and yourself on the board. Other, there's a five employee directors on the board of Harvey Norman. It's time you kind of got into the 21st century, made your board a little bit more independent, just kind of, you know, did the right thing rather than pretending this is a family fiefdom that you can run however you want. Now, I'm a bit torn on this one, mate. I, I think on some level, I applaud transparency. I applaud moves towards improved corporate governance. On the other hand, it's not exactly like any shareholder of Harvey Norman didn't realize that Jerry Harvey was the boss and ran this business this way and frankly has been phenomenally successful over 40 years in building a business that is absolutely dominant in the in the retail landscape in Australia. Now it's not 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 exclusively dominant, doesn't, you know, there are competitors, the likes of JB Hi-Fi and others, but geez, I mean Jerry's on one viewing of it more than earned the right to run the business his way, hasn't he? You know, I have I have a lot of things I can say about this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, here, dear. Yeah. oh dear. So here I'll, 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 I'll say I, I, I'm going to you know I'm not trying to take pot shots here, but you know some of this might but appear will. like. But, you uh, will. but so, just so, say allegedly a lot of so, you. Uh, that, so so number one, I'm going to say something about Aussie investors in general. Okay, and you can't have it both ways. <laughs> uh, Aussie investors, a lot of them go. are going to going to say, "Oh, the director sold out." I'm okay. Director sold out. Too bad, right? So, if so the, sorry, just to, just to flesh that out a bit. Yeah. So, so why will people complain that they're well because selling? the insiders are selling out, right? So insiders know must know something, and therefore they're selling out, and therefore it's a bad thing, right? Okay. Right. Okay. Now, if every if we complain every time the directors sell out, yes, we should not complain if those directors have overbearing power because they <laughs> right. have the bloody shares. So, so right? we've either got too many shares or not enough shares. Yeah, directors. like I mean, you can't have it this both ways, right? right it just right. doesn't work. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Netflix was co-founded by Reed Hastings. He probably owns like 1% of the company. Right. right? And nobody, has sold down in the meantime. And right? nobody cares when he sells the shares, right? I mean, so, you know, it's it's you can't have it both ways. Number two, if it's a share market, yes. the shares are listed, Yes. right? And I'm, as you said, you're all, you know, I'm, I'm all for transparency and things like that. But yes. here's the deal. For all intents and purposes, a lot of these businesses are actually private businesses that are listed. I think I think that's a very correct characterization. Yep. Nobody told anyone to buy those shares. If you don't like the shares, just don't buy it. Man. Sell it. Give it to somebody else. I think that's in particular the case. Like if a company changes tra- tack all of a sudden, current shares are inclined, to, are entitled to say, hang on, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Nobody in the last 40 years has bought Harvey Norman shares thinking, you know what? I reckon Jerry Harvey is the absolute epitome of independent corporate governance. I mean, that's why I'm going to buy the yeah, shares. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you, is, this is a bit like, you know, asking for like, you know, like eating your cake and having the icing and having <laughs> everything else with it. And I want to keep the cake too. Like, I mean, it doesn't work that way. I, I you know, it, look, I'm not a Jerry Harvey fan, mm-hmm. but I think there's nothing wrong if, you know, if I own like 40% of the company, I'm going to make 40% decisions, right? right. And then the 40% is the majority. Well, too bad. That's that's what you're getting. We often say we want, I mean, compared to the bank executives and other people, we say we want directors with skin in the game. We want people whose interests are aligned yeah. with ours as shareholders. If you own shares in Harvey Norman, I guarantee you Jerry Harvey owns 100 million times as many shares as you do. Exactly. At some level, I'm not sure how much more alignment we can ask for. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a question of alignment. I mean, he's aligned and I mean, you know, he's going to make some decisions. He basically, shares, buying shares in, you know, Harvey Norman basically yep. means 
buying shares with Jerry Harvey. You buy shares in Jerry's company, right? Yeah, That's, you yeah. have shares in Jerry's company and you believe in that vision. It's it's right. no different from like, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, right? I mean, when you buy Berkshire Hathaway shares, you're basically getting... <laughs> Whatever Warren Buffett says, you know. And the same as the builders for Solpats here in Australia. And I own both of those shares, again, for full disclosure. Um, it, it just strikes me as bizarre that, look, the, the Millers have run Solpats for 100 years or close enough to. Buffett's run Berkshire for 50 years. Are those boards independent? Hell no. No. In, in Berkshire's case, the chairman and the CEO was the same person. Allegedly, corporate governance experts will say that's terrible and you shouldn't possibly have it. I just It just strikes me. Like, I... It, Regulations and, and and kind of rules are required for the lowest common denominator, right? Yeah. And I kind of get that. Like, I get that that's true. I just think you want to be careful what you wish for. Like, who really, who really honestly wants Warren Buffett's power at Berkshire diluted? Who really wants the Milner's power, Rob Milner, the, the chairman and executive chairman, I think he is, um, who really wants his power diluted given the success of that business over time? And yet, look, Jerry's not had a great run of late with, with in retail. Now, that, you know... Business is doing okay. The share price is down, and he can't control the share price. He can't control the business. At some level, you kind of go, "Well, who's who's going to run Harvey Norman better than Jerry Harvey?" Yeah, yeah. and 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 I think here's the thing: there's a there's a distinction between, um, you know, following the rules. So as long mm. as the disclosures are up to the mark, as mm. long as they are doing the right thing by disclosures, as long as they are, you know, uh, educating their investors properly, right. I think I think they've done their disclosure duty, right? right? And then asking, you know, like, I mean, you know, independent board may not be the uh, the solution to, you know, the share price. Like, I mean, if you think that's the solution to share price, it may not be the solution to share price. So, right. so uh, you, know, uh, you know, on this one, you know, I would actually side with Jerry. I'm very uncomfortable when you agree so strongly, mate. I, I just said I'm just siding with Jerry here. We, I, we have to move on. Okay, let's move on. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Guess what, mate? It is mailbag time and I have an announcement. What is that? Ring the bell, sound the klaxon. Don't actually do that. Dun, 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 dun. Mm, that's neither a bell or a klaxon. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I appreciate it, though. Given, that's, that's, the, that's the new age band. Given the dearth of sound effects, mate, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yes, it was very new age, very, very ringtone, wasn't it? Very kind yeah. of, uh, anyway. Special mailbag episode this Sunday. Woohoo! Boom. Boom. Very exciting. That was boom, not boo, right? No, I said boom. Okay, boom. just mate. I'm <laughs> making sure yeah. you weren't booing me. No, 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 no. So, we are going to have a special mailbag episode this Sunday. Hopefully, you're listening to this maybe on a Friday or a Saturday. If you're not, you're already listening on Sunday. There's probably two in your queue. Hopefully, that's a good thing. As always, if you don't want to listen to our mailbag episodes, feel free to skip that move on to the next one. But I reckon we'll try and make it fun and interesting. And as always, if your fellow listeners are asking you questions, a very fair chance you might also benefit from the answer. So stay tuned. But we're not done yet, mate. We're not done. We've got a couple of mailbags for today first. All right, let's do that. We're spreading the love. Mate, the first... <laughs> oh. I'm going to make sure I disagree, just for the heck of disagreeing. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the first thing I will say though, mate, I'm going to run through our socials for those who don't yet know them. And if you don't, shame on you if you listen more than once because it's a very long roll call of them. And frankly, I don't get sick of doing it, but you probably get sick of hearing it. If you are on, which one I'm going to start with? I'll start with Instagram just because you're on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, <laughs> I love an Insta question only because it just feels very like I feel like a cool kid when I'm doing it. Kim Kardashian and who are the other cool kids on Instagram, dog? Uh, Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, I imagine. Everybody but me. <laughs> All the cool kids are on Instagram. Uh, they're probably on like Snapchat and stuff. We're not on that. Um, Instagram at TMF Scott P. TMF is the Motley Fool. So if that helps you remember, TMF Scott P or at the Motley Fool AU. There are our Instagram accounts. Feel free to hit us up with a direct message on Instagram. If you're on Facebook, again, because Doc's not on it, you can, you can contact us. Send us a direct message at the Motley Fool Australia or at Scott Phillips Money, all one word. They're, they're our Facebook accounts, and you are on Twitter, Doc. So if you're on Twitter and you want to talk to Doc, at Anirban Mahanti is Doc's Twitter account. Mine is at TMF Scott P again, and the, at The Motley Fool AU. That's all our socials ticked off Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Basically, just search for us by name or look for The Motley Fool. And if you do want to email us, like we had a couple of emails in. I don't know if we'll get them today, but we might get to them on Sunday. A couple of emails, info at fool.com.au. Our wonderful member services team will look after those. Make sure we get them. Just let them know that's a podcast question and we'll address it for you on the show. Did I get through them all? Email almost seems like it's like the snail mail equivalent now. Oh, man. You just made I'm it sound old. like, you know, it's it's like not useful. Do you remember when snail mail was snail mail? I remember, I remember when snail mail was real mail. <laughs> well, that was real mail. Then it Once became snail time. mail. Now I think email is snail mail. Mate, I'm old enough to have worked in an office where you literally sent internal mail via courier. 
That's, that's, that's how old I am. And then we had then we had an email. The email was just in the office. There was no external email. It was all just between the people in the office. And then there was faxes. We only allowed to use the fax machine. There was a code for the fax machine so we didn't waste money sending funny faxes to people. You're just letting people know. I'm very old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do us a favor. Hit us up on the social. Send us an email at info at fool.com.au. Don't snail mail us because I promise you we won't get it. I won't read it out. Make but, Scott feel he is in the 21st century. Exactly. I, just remind me how old I am. If, if you get no pleasure out of anything else, at least get pleasure out of making me feel old. That's going to be worth something. Mate, some good news during the week. Our podcast is incredibly popular in Australia. I knew that. Do you know where it's more popular? No. Hungry. It's more popular than Hungry. Awesome. I gotta, I gotta, I'm hungry for Hungry. I got a tweet during the week. Uh, we are, fair Nickham, the number two podcast. In Hungry. In, in, number two investing podcast in Hungary. I so thank you to all of our Hungarian listeners. We very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what to think or say about it, but I'm very, very pleased that we're making some Hungarians smarter, happier, and richer, which is our new corporate purpose. Educating, amusing, and enriching Hungarians. I love this. Tell your friends. Can you speak any Hungarian? No. No, me either. <laughs> so I won't even try because it's just offensive at some level. But thank you, Hungary, for listening to our podcast and subscribing. Come on, Australia. You're not going to let Hungary beat you, are you? Tell your friends. Make sure they sign up for Motley Fool Money as well. Because This is depressing so, then. Well, as much as, much <laughs> as I love being, being popular in Hungary, I'm a little bit disappointed that we're not more popular here, at least relatively speaking. Come on, Australia. You can do better. I think we're in the top 10 here, so that's all right. But we're number three in Hungary. Yeah, we, we do so well in cricket. We, I'm sure we can do well in this too. I'm sure we can. Don't let the Hungarians beat you, Australia. Sign up, subscribe, tell your friends. All right. Mate, first question, real question. A question from Vidya during the week. He says, uh, Scott and Doc, great podcast once again. And thanks for the money hack. You're very welcome, Vidya. I'm pretty excited. Our money hack's getting some really good feedback, Doc. I, I think so. I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, anyway, it's very, very, very he says, I'm trying to look for opportunities overseas to invest as suggested. And we are massive fans of investing overseas. So good work, Vidya. He says, I've looked at stocks on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange with a PE of less than six and a market cap more than $1.5 trillion. Am I missing anything or is this a great investment? Now, fair to say in the Australian market, the average PE is about 14 or 15, maybe 16 because the market's pretty high. A PE less than six stock would suggest that this company was, or these companies, are about, well, kind of three times cheaper, right? Or about a third of the price, give or take, than Australian companies. If the average PE is 12, 13, 14, 15, surely you can't go wrong buying a stock with a PE of six, can you? So, um, well, okay, I'm going to caveat this in many ways. <laughs> um, so one thing is true, that the Asian market overall are among one of the cheapest markets right now to invest in. So that on an overall market basis, if you're investing, for example, in, um, in Hong Kong or you have indirect exposure to China, mm-hmm. um, those stocks are among the cheaper ones you can find. There's, there's a lot of sentiment involved. There's a lot of you know, issues around the trade wars. I mean, um, uh, tech stocks, for example, uh, that, that, that mainly are you know, China-based have been beaten down. Mm. So that's number one. So yes, on a relative basis, I think the Asian market overall is cheaper. When I say Asian, I basically mean you know Hong Kong and you know China. Um, so should our listener be buying stocks in Hong Kong with a P of less than six? Oh, well, yeah, so, so so without knowing what the company is, nobody can say <laughs> anything about that. Um, um, you know, P of six often means something is not right. I mean, mm. at least in no, without knowing, as I said, I mean the the average PE in. Uh, um, in in the Asian market is probably around twelve right now. So okay. so I mean you know you know that's pretty cheap if you think about that. But P of six might mean that you know that maybe the earnings that the the denominator is is, is on a trailing basis is um, uh, maybe inaccurate in this of reflection of what might happen in the future, right? So, I mean it could be that you know the company is going through some transformation, the company has some issues, and mm. therefore the earnings in the future is actually not going to be reflected by the earnings in the trailing earnings, and therefore right. the PE effectively would could actually go back to maybe twelve if the earnings fell by. Uh, half right, makes sense, makes so sense. so that can happen all the time. The 1.5 trillion market cap. Another thing to remember there is if you're looking at the Hong Kong market, then that's in Hong Kong dollars, right? right. So then you have to adjust that in terms of Australian uh, dollars. Then you're going to divide it by, I guess, six or something like that. Um, about, about five. So one Hong Kong dollar is about 19 Australian cents, apparently. So yeah. So about five or Four six. Five. Yeah. So yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. So if you divide it by five, then you know it's not a trillion right. anymore. But it's still pretty big yeah, at yeah. you know. 
uh, at what, 300 billion, 300 billion or yeah. 300 billion OZ. So, I mean, there are a lot of big companies like companies like Alibaba, for example, and uh, well, Alibaba is not listed. Like Tencent, for example, mm -hmm. you can buy via Hong Kong. Tencent is like the Facebook and the WhatsApp and all those things combined um, in uh, um, combined in in one company, which is you know it's world's largest gaming company, for example, is Tencent. Um, so I think there are some interesting ideas, uh, but I would not just look at PE before buying it. Um, yeah. And if you want direct exposure, there's a there's an ETF called Asia um, listed, which you can actually so literally buy. that's the code, right? Asia is the code, and it is <laughs> an Asia. <laughs> Asian tech. The fifty it fifty companies, I think, is fifty. Uh, 50 tech companies in sort of uh, Asia, which is basically doing business only um, in Asia, which is our Asian, Asia-listed companies. It will include some from India as well, some from Korea and so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's another way to get exposure. Again, if you if you look at that ETF, it, it would appear that that ETF is cheaper yeah. than some of the other ETFs. Uh, but lots of, you know, lots of puts and takes there. I think. So we, we, I mean, look, you're not, a, you're not a particularly a value investor. I think it's fair to say, Doc. Um, yeah. It sounds like Vidya looking for low PE stocks. That's, that's kind of classic value investing behavior. Um, so probably not going to be super excited by the Asia ETF, although you probably would suggest you should be. And I think that's a reasonable view, by the way. Um, yeah, look, I think, I think, look, generally speaking over, over many decades, buying cheap stocks has been a really successful way of being, beating the market. That's broken down dramatically over the last 10 or 12 years. And, and Doc, I think you would say it's, structurally changing i would still argue maybe it's partly cyclical but either way um i wouldn't want anyone to buy just on the base of low peers because there's a whole lot of reasons you've already enunciated why that might be misleading uh, it could be the type of company it could be the future earnings the other thing i would say and I, i'm i'm probably a little bit more of a um what's the right word I, i'm probably a bit more opportunistic than you in some ways on, on it with a value bent and maybe that's maybe that's a mistake part of me thinks buying stocks in hong kong right now with so much grief going on in the hong kong uh, protests and that kind of stuff. There's this, this kind of, those sort of things tend to depress share prices. And if you don't think that's permanent, then there's every possibility, though not a guarantee, that stocks might be cheap just because the market's overweighting the short-term current events rather than the long-term earning potential. So I'm kind of slightly interested in what might, what might be off on offer in Hong Kong just because of the geopolitical dramas that I don't think will be long-term. But in, in some version of the future world, these are, are long-term because either Hong Kong and China remain problematic or that there is some, as you say, harm in company earnings because tourism falls over, the economy falls over. Uh, this could be a medium long-term problem. And so you, want, you wouldn't want to jump in trying to make a quick buck. You may well end up having to hold those shares for a while to re recognize full value. I don't disagree. As I said, I think, you know, companies like, you know, even Tencent and so on, they are, you know, pretty strong companies which one could buy and actually pretty, which would look like a value. But the thing I'll say is, you know, it's again, it's very hard to, you have to be willing, you know, when you're buying now those stocks, mm. you have to be willing to basically tolerate the volatility, right? I yeah. mean, this might not be the bottom, right? You need there a might high be, pain threshold, right? You need a high pain, pain threshold and you really need to be a long-term investor yeah. to make the bet that, you know, That's the, good point. Yeah, the bet you're going to be making is, that, you know, I think the Chinese middle class is going to continue growing. The yep. wealth, you know, is going to appreciate. These companies are going to not just, you know, do well in China, but they might actually do well, uh, you know, in a more global sense. Yep. And if you make those bets, I don't know, now might be a good time to buy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree at all. Just be, just be careful. Mate, the next question is a, well, we don't normally do comments on this mailbag, but we've got a comment rather than a question from The Steady Investor on Twitter. And I thought... I would share this one because it's just a different perspective on something we've been talking about recently, which is investing for kids. Um, I'll share this roughly without comment. You can feel free to jump in if you want at the end. Um, he says, hey, Scott and Doc, love the podcast. Good man. I've listened to every episode since day one when Andrew, somebody called Andrew Page, apparently. When Andrew Page used to be in the chair, never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's dead to me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. He's a good bloke and we, we still like him. Uh, he says, I notice you, you, you get a number of people asking about investing for their kids. I myself do this through the use of investment bonds. Now, I know traditionally these have been a bit heavy on the fees, but I have found Key Invest, which was formerly IOOF South, South Australia, offer a very reasonable expense ratio of 0.3% plus the cost of the fund. They offer Vanguard Australia and International Index Funds, which are the equivalent to VAS and VGS, which are two codes we've talked about before, with a fee of 0.18%. So I guess if you round that up, that's about half a percent a year in terms of total fees, the 0.3 plus the 0.18. As these products are fully tax paid after 10 years, assuming you follow the 125% rule, I believe this is an easier and cleaner alternative for most people. They can be transferred into the child's name at a nominated age between 10 and 25. We simply B pay a regular amount every quarter and let the market do its thing. 
Uh, key investor have an app or online account, which sounds backward, but I think it's actually a good thing. You don't need to be looking at your long-term investment every day. We agree with that. Uh, the fund pays tax, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the other benefit, you don't have to declare anything on your tax return. Stay the course, and after 10 years, at least 10 years, you have a tax-paid investment and no messy capital gains tax to deal with. I'm in no way affiliated with Key Invest, just a very satisfied customer who I believe are offering the best value investment bonds on the market. Thanks for your time. So that's a different perspective. Uh, I haven't looked in a whole lot of detail at this particular one or investment bonds in general, but certainly you have being a tax-paid investment. Now, the, the fund itself does pay tax on the way through, so it's not tax-free, uh, but the tax is paid for you and no CGT. So there's possibly some value there for people who are looking to invest for their kids. Any thoughts on that, Doc? No, I, ha- I really don't know anything about this one, so I have nothing to offer. But a, a great comment. One more question, mate. Stand by. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. This question comes from Nick, who is a regular correspondent of ours. He says, hey, Scott and Doc, regular listener and follower of the pod. I'm The whole pod thing, mate, I, pod being short for podcast is kind of new to me. It's iPod. Do I need to catch on? It comes from the word iPod, <sighs> dear, dear. which comes from you know where. <sighs> yes. Let's move on to the question. The cult now. of something. All right. Uh, oh, speaking the of cult is, of good. This is actually about a cult of awesome. God help us. All right. <sighs> Regular listener of the and follower of the pod and love how you go about it. Thank you, Nick. Follow-up question on the Apple and Berkshire debate from last week's mega mailbag about the amount of cash held by both. I was right about that, by the way. You were wrong. No, no, question- no I am right about that one. <laughs> the question- word pod comes from iPod. <laughs> well, we're improving on something, mate. It's all, it's all about improving on the, you know, low-quality original. He says... Uh, <laughs> Question is, Buffett has had an association with Bill Gates as a friend, mentor, trusted advisor, etc. The Microsoft share price around $1.90 in 1992. Why the heck didn't Buffett invest in Microsoft and Bill's vision at least at some point in the 1990s? Pure stubbornness on Warren's behalf? Not to have jumped into tech years earlier than his Apple play? Cheers, Nick. That's a very good question. Now, I know the answer to this one, Doc, but do you want to have first stab at it? Well, I think, you know, number one, I'll say that, okay, so I don't see um, Buffett's investment in, in Apple as a tech play at all. Like, I mean, you know, he, just, yeah, yeah. he basically looks at it as a consumer discretionary, consumer brand yeah. uh, play. He almost looks at it as like Coca-Cola. Yeah. So he says, you know, there's a, you know, there's the world's best brand, the world's, you know, oh, brightest brand. Let's not put words into his mouth. Uh, like, well, if he didn't, <laughs> then he should come and talk to me. Um, he's missing something here. Um, and I'll charge you a very small fee. Of his shareholding in Berkshire, and that's you know, a, slight, a slight, slight small fund management charge. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. small for you know for illuminating stuff. All right, but you it. know, but basically, you know, he's basically looking at you know a, a company that's got a very strong <laughs> brand. People line up, people you know order online. Yeah, um, you know, people buy one product, they buy again, they buy multiple products. It's this is the sort of thing that. I think he can easily identify with with um, with his focus on brands and and motors. I don't think this is a technology play. Everything that ha- happens technology wise, I think, is incidental for him here. Yeah, um, that's, true. That, that's the way I think I look at it. Uh, from a, he, he said as much. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I think he doesn't understand tech, and he has said that number of times yeah. that you know tech is hard for him and 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 Charlie. So that's why they have not invested in anything else, but. Apple. I mean, he did dabble on uh, IBM at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that too was again, a, I think, a reliance on you know their brand as yep. in, at the enterprise level and their ability to make that enterprise brand work. Correct, so, and, and the service is part of that business yeah. as well. Uh, the other thing I will say, and I gave this response to Nick probably on, on Twitter. Um, the, other, the other reason is that Warren Buffett, because he's had an association with Bill Gates, has always been hyper aware of not wanting to be seen to be do anything improper in regards to trading on what could otherwise be alleged to be inside information. And so the fact they've actually been mates for a while, Bill Gates is now on the Berkshire Hathaway board, which is the biggest issue there. Um, he's just simply ruled ruled out, ruled Berkshire out from buying Berkshire, uh, from buying Microsoft stock, I should say, um, for the longest time for exactly that reason. He just simply doesn't want the perception of any potential wrongdoing and frankly, the well-being as it is. Uh, I would trust Buffett implicitly on that, by the way. I don't think he's, I think he's, uh, of all the business leaders I can think of, probably the one who's most above reproach by the same token. There's always going to be some doubters, some uh, allegations thrown around, some concerns. You can imagine the case that if Buffett was to buy Berkshire, uh, I said it again, if Buffett was to buy Microsoft tomorrow and the share price jumped 10% a month after, um, there'd be a whole lot of people saying, oh, Buffett must have known something, Gates must have spilled the beans. And so just for pure probity reasons, Buffett has decided just simply to, to rule out Microsoft as an investment idea. Um, he's done it on a couple of occasions where there is some 
concerns or, or possible perceptions of anything insider and proper going on. Again, I think we can reasonably assume there is nothing going on, but he wants to do the right thing, stay on the right side of those allegations or concerns. Anything more for you, mate? I have nothing to add, mate. Mate, I hope you're feeling energetic. I'm very energetic. Because as soon as we finish this, it's all about the mailbag episode. Let's do it. Are you excited? I am very excited. I'm always excited. We can't do it just yet, though, because I have to use my usual script. Ah. Before we wrap up and get on to the next episode, don't forget you can subscribe, and we think you should subscribe, because if you do, you won't miss the mailbag, and that is worth listening for. Please do subscribe to the Triple M Motley Full Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. Even use your iPod if you've still got one of those ancient pieces of equipment that have been surpassed by Pixel phones, among others. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating on iTunes. Tell your friends, leave us some stars, throw us a review. We don't necessarily need it for our egos, but suffice it to say, we're happier people when we get some nice reviews. And you've been very generous thus far, so please keep it up for, for my sake and for Doc's sake, if nothing else. Don't even have to be honest. Just say nice things because we're frail ego-led individuals or something. Anyway, don't forget you can also get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.